chapter 33. Two weeks after the block party, the nine flavors avoid me like cod liver oil. Diva Diane came by a few times, but Daddy got the hint that I didn't want her to babysit me anymore. He figured it would save him a few bucks, just as long as I didn't tell Mama if I stayed home and watched cartoons. So that's exactly what I did. My imagined location was closed for business. I shut all the doors and boarded up all the windows as if a hurricane were on the horizon. And I hoped there was one coming up to Harlem to sweep me away like Dorothy and plant me right in Huntsville because there's no place like home. Or I could be my own hurricane and take my own doggone self home since I never told a soul about my little fib. I had tucked Granddaddy's money inside a comic book and at the bottom of one of my suitcases. I searched the whole house for a telephone book until I find one in Uncle Richard's bedroom. It's on his nightstand along with an ashtray and too many cigarette butts. His room is neat and almost empty and he hasn't been home for days. Daddy's in the shop again, so I rush down the stairs, go into the kitchen, sit at the table, and look up the telephone number to the hurricane that will finally set me free. Hello, American Airlines, I say with my sweet, regular Ebony Grace voice. How do I buy a ticket to Huntsville, Alabama? I listen for instructions. I'll have to go to the airport to buy that ticket. I recount Granddaddy's money, $300. I'm going to need extra to take a taxi cab to Kennedy Airport. Since I'll be gone from here in a few days, I call Granddaddy anyway, even though every morning Daddy reminds me not to. It's going to cost him a lot of money, but that's what he gets for not buying me the ticket in the first place. The phone rings three times before Mama picks it up. I choose my words carefully, as she would say. I make sure that my voice is even and steady, like when I answer a billion questions from the church ladies about Bible study, piano lessons, and my marks in school. Good morning, Mama. How are you? Ebony, oh, good morning, darling. It's good to hear from you. Don't you have your classes now? It was. I was so close to asking her what classes, but I know it would get Daddy in trouble. So I, I said, oh, yes, I have ballet in the afternoon. I have Tuesdays off, I fib. Ballet? I thought they didn't have ballet at the Y on 135th Street. Well, Daddy just signed me up at another place. I love it, Mama. Is that right? She says. Mm-hmm. I want to tell Granddaddy all about it. Now, where is he? She pauses. Ebony, honey, I know your grandfather wanted you to come down last weekend, but it, it just didn't make any sense, sweetheart. Now, listen, your grandfather's not doing too good. I know you want to see him. But now is not the right time. You'll be back by the summer's end, I promise. And then you can see your grandfather, okay? I don't answer her. Ebony Grace, I'm talking to you. Yes, Mama. I hang up. Sadness doesn't get a chance to form a concrete cloud over my head because I have to make plans. I have to focus. I have money. I have a way to buy a plane ticket. And I know how to be on an airplane all by myself. I just need a way to get to the airport. Now, Daddy's auto repair shop is full of cars. Most of them are broken, but still, there are cars, and they can get me to the airport in no time. Then I'll just need a driver. I wonder if local Lester can drive. He always wants to help. I go to the stoop, and I look around. There's no sign of Lester. All the streets are quieter now, almost like Huntsville, almost. Everybody has settled into summer. And instead of slow drives and visits to neighbors' porches, people hang their heads out to windows, sit on plastic crates, and play cards, take over whole front stoops, or turn on the fire hydrants to let the old faithful fly in water cool them down. Everything is just like it was yesterday and the day before, just like in Huntsville when Granddaddy isn't telling his stories. The trees and skies don't bend to become a whole other planet. Instead, I slowly get used to it all. 
and I'm as alien to the rap music that blasts out of the boomboxes on boys' shoulders, as strange as the people bringing junk into Daddy's shop for a few dollars, and as different as Diane's many outfits and jewelry. I don't see Bianca from where I'm standing on the stoop, but I can hear her voice, so I go looking. I finally spot Bianca and her friends behind a table propped up at the curb, the same one that held the food at the block party. There's an emptied-out milk jug that now holds a red liquid, a stack of plastic cups, and a sign that reads Kool-Aid, ten cents, all proceeds to benefit the Nine Flavors crew. I dig into my pocket and I find a quarter. I'll take two, I say, when I reach the table. Every single one of the Nine Flavors crew are here, and they talk and roll their necks and laugh out loud like they usually do. So I'm quiet and regular. Bianca places two cups of Kool-Aid in front of me, and I gulp them down in less than five seconds. I searched my pockets for more change, but I left the rest of the money in that comic book in my suitcase. I don't want to leave, so I ask, How come y'all not practicing or something? Mind your own beeswax ice cream sandwich, Monique yells before anyone else answers me. But still, I don't go away because in just a few days I won't be seeing any of them. They'd all be a distant memory. Where's Diane, I finally ask. Bianca points with her chin, and I turn to see Diane walking over with a tall boy who has on almost the same outfit as her, white t-shirts tucked into blue jeans and long gold chains shaped like ropes. Diane has an even bigger gold trapezoid earrings that almost touch her shoulders. And she comes closer. I spot a ring on her left hand so big it takes up four fingers. On it is her name written out in script. She could just hold up her hand with that giant ring if anybody asked for her name. How much did y'all make now, Diane asks as the nine flavors without even looking in my direction. Bianca holds out the quarter I just gave her. You mean to tell me that in this heat nobody out here wants a cup of Kool-Aid? The boyfriend laughs and shakes his head. Y'all didn't think everybody got their own Kool-Aid at home and it's way cheaper. Diane smacks her boyfriend's shoulder. Shut up, Ray. They just trying to make some money. You got a hundred bucks for them to get to the Apollo, fifty bucks for their outfits, and fifty bucks to sign up, she says with her motor mouth. I immediately look at Bianca. She stares at this Ray with hope in her eyes so bright they might as well have been blinking fireflies. Ray laughs and kisses Diane on the cheek. I look away, but none of the ice cream, none of the ice cream flavors do. Well, Ray, Monique asks, do you have a hundred bucks for us? It would be an investment. An investment for a double Dutch team? No, they all shout. We're breakdancers and MCs, Bianca says. Yeah, right. Yeah, y'all have to come up against, let me see, he starts counting off on his fingers, there's Roxanne Chante out in Queensbridge, and if you want some respect from the B-girls, you'll have to stand up against baby love. We already knew all that stupid head, Monique yells. Seriously, Ray, Diane says, they're really good. They're better than that crew that Calvin got put together. And if they get to go, then the nine flavors deserve to go. It's only fair. He shakes his head. Good luck, ladies. I don't have that kind of dough. Yeah, right, Monique says. You just want to spend it all on your girlfriend. Before Diane and Monique start bickering, I go around the table to Bianca and I say, I can help. No, no more help from you, Ebony. I told you, I don't want to play those games. She steps away from me and joins in on the bickering about Ray having all that cash in his pockets and not wanting to help them. I think for a moment and I look back at Daddy's Brownstone, the place I'm supposed to leave in just a few days, the place I'm supposed to break out of so that I don't stay there forever and I never see Huntsville or Granddaddy and I never hear the stories about the Uhura ever again. 
I think of my not friends back home, the ones who used to treat me just like the nine flavors do, the ones who call me strange and crazy and a tomboy, the ones who probably said good riddance when I left Huntsville for Harlem for the summer, if they even noticed I was gone. But those kids in Huntsville only jump with a single rope, and then I'll spin their heads and make their bodies move like robots. They play boring ring games, and they dare one another to kiss a boy. They wear fancy dresses to church and know all the answers about the Bible in Sunday school. When they look up at the sky, all they see is what Mama sees, the Heavenly Father and the angels and storm clouds and stars and sun. There's way more than that up there. I know this for sure. So in Huntsville, I always keep my Uhua stories to myself, never letting any of those not friends know what I know. Besides, Granddaddy is my best friend. I didn't need anyone else. Then it settles in my belly like a parachute finally landing. Granddaddy is my granddaddy. Granddaddy is not well. Granddaddy is not always going to be here to tell me stories about the Uhura. I remember one of the last things he told me on the phone. The prime directive. You can't be messing with what people already got going. You got to leave it the way it is. Respect it. Get to know what it's all about. At least these kids here know what the outer space sounds like. They know how robots move, and some of them even know enough to name themselves out of whole planets, even though they don't want to visit. Granddaddy told me that when those astronauts on Apollo 13 realized the plan to go to the moon wasn't going to work, they'd made a new plan. They thought fast, and they improvised with whatever they had on hand. They knew they only had one shot to make the right choice and make it back to Earth alive. In an instant, I knew. I have to help the Nine Flavors crew. Getting an all-girl crew into the contest at the Apollo Theater would be like getting an all-girl crew to man an Apollo space mission. I look around at the whole block, the buildings with the missing windows, the colorful words that dance along their crumbling walls, the random tire or mattress that sits out on the curb. This is a planet. This is another world. I remember the lights in Times Square, the sounds of the underground train. So loud it must be where the sonic boom is born. I walk over to Bianca and say, if I get you into the Apollo, will you let Pablo Jupiter join your crew? And can you teach me some of your moves? <laughs>